like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk welcome to the latest episode of the just not sports podcast this is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like just not sports on today's episode we will talk to pga legend greg norman that's right the shark about his many interests away from the links, all of which he makes look so much better when he's doing it than when you're doing it. <laughs> and with the World Cup winding down, we will go deep on the latest musical stylings from Fox soccer commentator and really face of American soccer, in our opinion, uh, and voice of American music, Alexi Lalist, an artist who takes up a disproportionate amount of space in my iTunes catalog. I will get into that <laughs> in a second. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer in Chicago. And joining me on the phone this week, also in Chicago, just in a much cooler part of it than I'm in, it is our respected, trusted, feared, and jujitsu practicing PR guy, Adam Willard. Adam, uh, you did text me that you were you were doing a little jujitsu right before we did this. Am I correct? No, sir. Um, I'm just break. I literally got my gi today. Uh, that is otherwise no. That's the uh, name for the uniform or garb worn for jujitsu practice and competition. I went to my introductory class last week and signed up, but couldn't go until I got this new gi and so uh i'm wearing it now because why not (laughs) yeah i mean you're not seeing any girls today (laughs) i mean my girlfriend thinks i'm weird i have no idea why (laughs) well i i did delay this uh because i was like hey adam i need a few more minutes my wife is mowing right next to where i i tape the podcast and and you're kind of like you make your wife mow bro yeah seems fair. She likes doing it, Adam. She likes doing it. She said, uh, I, I've mowed for the past few years but um, since we moved out here, but recently she did it and said she kind of just likes to, to go out there and be away from the kids and away from me and just <laughs> oh, decompress. Well, now, now it makes sense. <laughs> uh, not with us tonight. It is our Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes, who oddly is in Scotland or something. Didn't realize that was happening, but... Um, oh. Uh, since I'm going to London next week, it's only apropos because Gareth and I miss each other on our travels by like the slightest margins. And uh, not with us as well, uh, another guy who definitely makes his wife <laughs> mow for him, uh, producer Joe Reed. <laughs> uh, okay, World Cup. You know, Alexi Lalas makes a ton of headlines. You know, he's he's outspoken, he's opinionated, he's a guy who does not hold back when it comes to commentating, and he's really been the most. I think, visible of the commentators who's been embedded in in Russia for the World Cup. Over the years, besides being one of the most iconic American soccer players of all time, uh, he is a musician, rock artist who's been cranking out albums since the mid-90s. And he's got a new one. It's called Sunshine, dropped right before the World Cup. So you know we had to go deep on it. Let's take a listen real quick to... 
Hello Sunshine, the first track off that. How do you compartmentalize like the the bright, optimistic pop rock Alexi from the really kind of cynical and and sarcastic uh, commentator Alexi? Well, I think the guy is. I think he is in general very passionate, and I think you hear that in his music and, of course, in his commentating. Um, but everybody needs an outlet. I'm sure that he does feel he has to play a very serious role during his day job but um he's also known to be a very friendly guy i remember working with the one time i know he's been on the pod i I wasn't on for that interview um but i did work with him many years ago uh he was coming to surprise a high schooler with an award and we were in santa barbara and he wanted to put out a a preview tweet of the day and he looked out the window and he said hey, uh, do you know the name of the mountain range right there? And I think that's the guy that you hear in the music. So uh, high attention to detail, which comes through as a bit snarky on air, but uh, through his music, equally expressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean the whole like the first track. I mean, he's just kind of screaming anything is possible today, like over and over again. You go, are you the same guy that, like called out the entire U.S. men's national team, <laughs> like in the most public way possible? <laughs> you know, Alexi's always had that vibe to him, where even back when he was playing, and he had like the long hair and the long facial hair, and really just kind of looks like he fell out of a '90s catalog. <laughs> yeah. um, but you, you, you always kind of picture he's that guy who you'd run into because uh, he would walk up to your, your, your group of friends sitting around and drinking around a campfire on the beach and just sit down and start talking to your girl. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like this a, ginger's here. Damn it. <laughs> oh, no. He, he's got a guitar now. Like, oh, he's singing to her. But I, so I, I do like that side of him. In fact, I like, I like his songs on this album a lot more when they are fast, energetic, upbeat, like like Hello Sunshine or, or my favorite song, and really the song of summer 2018, the, the Call Me Maybe of 2018 <laughs> summer song, which okay. I've always said that people should start creating, like if they really want to jockey for the position of song of summer, they should just call the damn thing song of the summer. And this is as close as we've gotten since Will Smith's Summertime. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't have much more to say than that, but yeah, I agree with that. Maybe <laughs> well, uh, Katy Perry, California Girls. It's close. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, did you? I will say, I mentioned this off the top. I've got a lot of Alexi Lalas on my iPod now. Yeah, you so do. I counted them up, Adam. Um, take a guess how many Alexi songs I've got. I'm going to say you've got 15. 
I've got 34 songs by <laughs> Alexi Lalas. Now, one of one of whom is a different Alexi Lalas we discussed on our podcast when he joined us, like some dude from Europe. But oh, that's, wow. That's like more than the amount of Pearl Jam songs that I have on my iPod. Well, <laughs> we talk about we talked about this last time we uh, I think the last time we reviewed an album. Well, the the a memorable one, of course, is Bobby Fino or Arian Foster, aka Bobby Fino's record, aka that, we, aka greatest rapper of all time, the goat. <laughs> I mean, now I I have to admit we've listened to quite a few albums um, for this podcast, and that was the first that I actually went back and listened to. How often are you going back and and listening to Alexi Lawless? I mean, I throw I throw shuffle on, so I get a lot of Alexi <laughs> with thirty four songs. I mean, I'm not saying I keep them on all the time, but I, you know, I go back to uh, you know to Gemini and some of the older stuff, and I'll, I'll let it run. You know, when I'm okay. when I'm doing the when I'm doing the uh, the elliptical, I think Alexi paints a good picture. Uh, yeah. He will tell a he will tell a story. I, I you know I I look at songs on this album like Perfect Crime, my my second favorite. Uh, possibly inspired by adultery Alexi Lala song behind the aforementioned Gemini <laughs> from 20 years ago. Um, I look at at some of the other things that I think he just does a good job putting you into the place where it's going. And, and really, there's not a ton of what I would call musical variation. It reminds me of... Yeah. The album reminds me a lot of like a Chuck Klosterman series of essays where you could start halfway through or start at the end and read backwards and you, you would... They all kind of have that same style. Like you're not getting like a ton. I mean, there are some sm- slower ballads or like you know, um, living in yesterday or things like that. But for the most part, I think he's just more kind of capturing a mood and and sort of telling a story within each song. I'm running the risk of this being a backhanded compliment, but I, what I'm saying is, I think Alexi, the the uh, lyricist and storyteller, is probably a little bit sharper than Alexi, the musician. But he does a good enough job painting a picture that I'm willing to go along throughout the album and, and see where he's taking us. Does that make sense? Um, I had the same thought, and again, not not necessarily a a criticism, and and not that we have to take it su- too seriously because I think it was intended to be a light summer album. But um, I, I usually when we do these album reviews, I'll listen to a handful of songs to try to get a a sampling and I was interested and the the songs were short enough that I did go through the whole thing on Spotify. And and songs like, you know, uh Shoot the Moon or Life of Someone Else are I think trying for something a little bit different than off the top. But I, I hear you. I you know I think he's got a very Alexi's got a very distinct style. And so yes. you know if you're gonna sit down and and listen to this very much like listening to an old uh early eighties REM album you know, again, no matter where you start it, like it's he's gonna he's gonna do what he does, um, which is why I think this is in terms of repeat. I would probably revisit individual singles more than I would just let it run from the top. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I, at this point in his career, though, he he's probably the most prolific athlete artist ever. <laughs> he's got like seven albums. Yeah, you know. Right. So I, I don't know that I think at this point he's just comfortable doing what he's doing and he goes into his studio and he he, he you know he, he lays down these tracks and he's like here you go feast or don't I don't care <laughs> right which is great I, like, and I think his his tweet that he sent out promoting the album was really interesting because it was like hey I've have a uh, have a new album out 
uh, give it a listen or don't. In other words, I think he enjoys uh, playing and composing the albums with his friends, but this is not his full-time gig. He's happy to put it out there into the world, and hopefully uh, two guys in Chicago will sit down for a half hour and review it. But if not, that's fine too. <laughs> yes, we were we were exactly what he was hoping for <laughs> when he dropped into the home studio. Adam, the, probably nowhere is more indicative of Alexi kind of not caring whether you listen than the last song title <laughs> I still love Christmas. Let's let's take a listen. <laughs> This track does not fit on this album at all. No, no. <laughs> it is. I I almost I thought, thought it was Spotify, a mistake. I was like, did yes. it? Did, I have so many songs on my. I have so many on so much Alexi. Did I just drop into like something he put out during the Euros or you know a couple years ago or, or the start of the Premier League season? I, I I had to go back and say, oh man, this is part of the same same record. I feel like he started in December, um, <laughs> thinking he'd make a holiday album, and he was like. <laughs> I don't know, guys. This isn't working. Let's make a summer album. And they were like, well, we need to round this out with something. Let's put that Christmas song on there. Give someone, give people something to look forward to. I will say, I go back to, I, you know, saying I think Alexi paints a, a good picture. This is arguably some of the most vivid writing that he does. I mean, he really does a good job of kind of outlining a Southern California Christmas with the fakes, the fake trees and the fake decorations and, and just how kind of, um, you know, in, you know, insane it is compared to other parts of the, of the country. And I thought that was, you know, I think that's like, that's part of the charm. It doesn't seem like it's going to close out, you know, an album that has, you know, uh, uh, hello sunshine going into summer song, but I didn't care that it fit. It just it fit to me stylistically because it was clear. Alexi was just like, "Hey, this is on my mind today. Like, I'm just I'm just gonna put it down. Like, like fuck off if you don't like it." What I enjoyed about this album, or how I pictured it, is I'm not particularly a, a big fan of pop music or adult contemporary in the classic sense. But as I listened to this, I could easily see this album being covered by like a Kenny Chesney or Luke Bryant as a country album. Like it had more of that feel to it with some different instruments uh, and a little bit of twang. I think some of these songs are, are hits. I think... Um, like I Still it, Love Christmas? I, well, <laughs> I, I think I really thought, okay, this is kind of a pop album till I got to the songs that you mentioned, um, Life of Someone Else and the song before that, living in yesterday which i thought oh like without the trucks and some of the usual motifs you see in country music i thought um that the the pacing and the the subject matter um were more fitting of a country album
And we've run out of things to say Yeah, or if that was just his, more of his jam, you could see him collaborating with some guys in the country world and doing and just having fun. Uh, Chesney's probably a good example of Alexi's just sort of these are songs he would sit down on the beach and rock out yeah. to, and and that's kind of like Kenny because I don't even think of Kenny Chesney as country anymore. I think of him as like he's the, he's very he's pop. I he's mean, the that's bastard son of Jimmy Buffett. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, cu- country music's really interesting because it's. Um, there are a lot of songs that have been covered that that were pop songs that were turned into huge hits by country artists and um, well, country music, at least mainstream country music, is is pop music uh, with uh, a little bit of a, a southern feel. All right, I got a quick question for you because we've really seen a shift in recent years toward rapping athletes garnering a level of I don't if not respect than being taken seriously by the media that covers them. And we see a lot of athletes putting out hip-hop albums over the past yeah. you know, several years. Where is the influx of rock artists, country artists, that kind of stuff, in other genres from the athlete world? Why aren't more guys cranking out albums like this? And if they are, where are they? Because I, I, I just don't run into them with the same frequency that I do. And here's Alexi with like, you know, <laughs> 109 songs on my iPod. And, uh, you know, I, I do feel like he's he's one of the very few guys carrying the torch for athletes who, who dabble in rock. Yeah, well, it makes you wonder because I've always had the argument like being a good rap performer is – just as difficult as other forms of music but in terms of production um really all you need is a drum machine and some hardware and you can make anyone can make a a rap mixtape or i would say it's much easier to make a a rap mixtape than it is with something where you need to write music and have a band and uh perhaps be able to play an instrument and have some level of uh vocal singing talent um so maybe it's just that it is easier uh, in your basement to make a rap album. Yeah, that's a good point. Although, you know, I guess you know Sean White's been in a rock band, but he wasn't he wasn't like fronting it in the traditional sense. You know, yeah. he was like playing an instrument. Like I think sometimes the, when guys do rock, they are they are not the front guy. But Alexi's right. always sort of been like, yeah, I'm I'm the I'm at the center of this. Take it or leave it. You know, listen or don't. Um, and I, I, I wish we had, I wish we had just as many, cause a couple of months ago, just behind a peek behind the scenes, you said to me, I'm just getting worn out on, on the athlete rap. Like we've done like yeah, one yeah. a week for four weeks, five weeks. And I'm just wondering like, where, when are we going to see an influx of five or six rock artists who are being taken as seriously as Dame Lillard and Arian Foster's recent work has been? Yeah, I don't know. I think there have been um, there have been people involved in music production. I only know this from my personal experience, but I remember Aaron Rodgers um, had started a record label um, for for some artists. Uh, so maybe more behind the scenes, but I'm not sure how much actual music 
training in terms of talent is out there. Your friend Aaron Rodgers uh, uh, started a well, label, and we are, we are not putting out albums on that label. <laughs> what are we? What are you doing, man? You know, I don't know what ever happened to it. I remember it was a line in his media guide bio, and uh, <laughs> having not really having not talked to Aaron in depth in a very long time, um, I'm not really sure. <laughs> All right, well. Pick up the album. If not, if you're going to just dabble in some songs, I would recommend Summer Song, Hello Sunshine, maybe Perfect Crime. Uh, I like Life of Someone Else. And yeah, then, I, my favorite is Living in Yesterday. That's probably my favorite song on the album. Uh, well, and hey, look, I still love Christmas. Get ahead on the <laughs> Christmas music <laughs> now. You know, start bumping that in October. You're all set, man. Just like a pumpkin spice coming back too early. <laughs> all right. That is wide open for this week. Right now, we are going to go to an interview I got to do with Greg Norman, a.k.a. The Shark, a.k.a. a retired golfer whose body is so good, ESPN called him for the body issue and made me feel that much worse about myself after seeing <laughs> what great shape Greg is still in to this day. It's a wide-reaching conversation. Greg's got a lot of interests away from golf, so it was awesome to sort of sit down, pin him down while he's in the States, and talk to him about life beyond the links. And after that, stay tuned. Adam and I will be back to distract you. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but you know, you got a lot of uh, great publicity being in the ESPN body issue. I know you take your your physical fitness uh, super seriously, and it's a big part of you know what you do with your with your free time. I'm just curious for your fans' uh, perspective. How was that experience? Let me start it this way: the experience had to be uh, managed in your mind by going into uh, the shoot with being comfortable in your own skin, right? By that is, you know you're going to be naked. Um, there's no other way of doing a, a ESPN body shoot without being naked. So you had to, you know, tell yourself, okay, this is it. I'm going to be in my birthday suit in front of, a, which, was, which was completely uh, controlled and managed. By the way, it's not like you're running around uh, the main street naked. Uh, so you know, it was completely managed. But at the same time, once I felt comfortable with that thought process, and I do feel comfortable in my own skin. It doesn't um, bother me. Um, you know, you've obviously seen on some of my Instagram accounts the posting that um, um, I, I feel comfortable. Now, so once I once I decided that, it became a really fun shoot to do. It was five and a half hours of maybe six hours of intensity. Um, I was engaging. The photographer was absolutely fantastic. So at the end of the day, it was it's something I've never done before and uh, something that I was very proud to be asked to be on the uh, ESPN body shoot. So at, uh, at the end of the day, the feedback has been, you know, I would say overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I, I had uh, Gary Player on our show a couple years ago after he appeared in there. So I, I'm kind of batting a thousand in the golf world uh, uh, for 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 folks like yourself who've done that done that that shoot, my friend. No, well, that's good. I hope you keep batting a thousand. I hope they're <laughs> up there. But, you know, Gary and I have probably uh, you know, set, set the precedent about, you know, health and fitness and wellness. 
um, into you know, my in the my sixties and him into his probably you know late mid seventies when he probably did that. Um, so we really do set a high benchmark for these young kids coming through. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned your your commitment to to wellness. Um, a big part of that seems to be all of your pursuits outside. Um, you know, this time of year, you're spending time in your ranch here in the United States. And while some people, I think, would think would, would suggest, oh, Greg's probably kicking his feet up and relaxing. I mean, it's clear from looking at your your Instagram and 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 listening to people who know you that you're out there working the land, doing stuff that's pretty rigorous. What what's your day to day like when you're out at your ranch, and how much are you you know working versus putting your feet up at all? Well, first of all, I don't put my feet up. Just <laughs> up as if. If the weather comes in like it did yesterday afternoon with some afternoon storms, and I, I sit down and I, I read a book or, or whatever it is for an hour or so, but that's about it. Most of the time, quite honestly, Brad, I'm uh, you know I can be on my uh, maintainer or motor grader doing all my roads. I can be on my bulldozer, you know, um, doing what needs to be done. I'm the type of guy who likes to get in there and do things and work, um, and it really does depend on whether we have guests or not. And if we have guests, um, then we're, you know, I'm kind of like the the, tour, the guide and, you know, they want to go horseback riding or do they want to go for a long hike or do they want to fish the river or do they want to do sporting play um, or do they, would, would they like to go shoot some, um, you know, I've got a beautiful, I have two beautiful ranges, one a really long range and one a short range. Um, and people are interested in, in, in experimenting and doing things that they haven't done before. So I give them that opportunity. So when I do have guests, it's really a full-on day for me because I'm actually showing, um, teaching, uh, educating, um, and really showcasing what the high country life is really all about. What role does you know working the land, uh, you know, you know, get, getting your hands dirty play in your mental health? Um, clearly, you've got a great uh, passion for for your physical fitness, but is there something to just going out there and being alone, uh, getting something done on the land that you think fuels the, the mental side of your of your well being? Oh, for sure. Look, um, this might sound weird, but when I get in my maintainer, and I'm actually we have about ninety miles of road on my ranch. Um, so when I get in my maintainer and you're going along and you're, you're actually got the blade down and you're actually uh, grading the road and making sure you do it correctly, you're doing about one to two mile an hour. Now, when you do that for 10 hours a day, day after day, you know, it really is great for your mind. And what I mean by that is you have to be so focused on what you're doing. I basically have um, you know, eight or nine levers that I'm working at every split second, adjusting the blade, adjusting this, making sure the steering wheel is in the right position, making sure that I'm not, you know, clipping any trees because the road's, yeah, it's just a tiny little road. Um, so the thing, at one time, you want to get everything done in one push uh, because you don't want to go back and redo it if you made a mistake. So if I have, if I get in my maintainer and I'm focusing on, other things that are distracting me, I don't do a good job. So um, I really get clear my mind, uh, get zeroed in. And the beautiful part is, I mean, I could be out, you know, miles and miles and miles away from my lodge, and I'll stop for lunch, and I'll get my you know, little Yeti out with all my drinks and my lunch, and then I'll just sit <laughs> down and, and um, 
I'm in the peace and quiet and beauty of the mountains um, after, you know, five or six hours behind the wheel and levers and pushing and pulling. And um, so I take about 45 minutes just to, to chill and there's not a soul with, for miles and miles and miles. So it's very cathartic. What's the most taxing, uh, you know, I guess physically, mentally, however you want to define it, what's the most taxing uh, job that you undertake on your land? Oh, what is the most taxing job? Now, physically taxing? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, like, what, what do you kind of look at and say, oh, man, here I go again? And, <laughs> you know, when, when, you're, when you're thinking about all the different jobs that you, that you do out there. Uh, look, I, you know, to be honest with you, sometimes running the bulldozer, you know, you know if you're cutting a road on the edge of a, a hillside uh, with the bulldozer or maintainer, uh, I mean, your wheels are literally a foot from the edge of a drop-off. So you've really got to be focused on that. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, I've been stuck before uh, in my maintainer. I've been grading a road and um, it started to rain and the ground got slippery and and uh, I went down this hill, it kind of dead end, and um, I had to get back up, and I couldn't uh, because the road was so slippery. And I had to improvise, and it's an articulated maintainer. So I, I turned the maintainer around, and I, I got up as much speed as I could to get up this hill in reverse, um, and I made it. Uh, if I hadn't have done it, I was at the furthest part of the ranch. It was probably 12, maybe 14 miles away from anybody with no cell phone service. Um, so I was in for a pretty long walk um, uh, to to get help to get me out of there. So those are the type of things that you know uh, it can be hazardous. Just you just have to be aware of your confidence and you know, understand the machinery and understanding of the environment you're you're in. So at the at the end of the day, you know it teaches you a lot about thinking ahead. You know, you have a lot of different passions, whether it's aviation, like you said, uh, you know, working the land, horses. Are you someone, um, would you describe yourself as a thrill seeker at all, or is that not a fair description? No, I'm not a thrill seeker. I mean, look, I've enjoyed uh, testing my limitations um, in life. Is that being a thrill seeker? No. Um, I just like to, uh, you know, experiment with, uh, what what uh, life can give you, what Mother Nature can give you. Uh, there's things about it that actually intrigue me to try and understand my own DNA and what's really within myself. So I, I push myself to the edge, but I never go over the edge. I never go beyond the thing where I think I know more or want to try something I, I really don't feel comfortable doing. So uh, it's just been my entire life as a kid growing up on the Great Barrier Reef, um, riding horses bareback on the beach when I when I grew up, um, learning how to go in outback of Australia and deal with our poisonous snakes and crocodiles and stuff like that. This is all the stuff I did as a kid, and you're very unaware of the the the, the potential of danger. You're just I'm there just as a sponge about learning about nature and and and. and you know, understanding what my limitations are. So my whole life has pretty much been that way. And uh, when I come out here on the ranch or do things in a fighter jet with the uh, Blue Angels, which I've been very, very lucky to fly with, um, landing on the USS Carl Vinson on an aircraft carrier, all those things, you know, I can go on and on and on, Formula One race cars and and Rod um, you know, and NASCAR and stuff like that. It's it's just been an incredible life for me from a 
exhilarating standpoint. Yeah, you mentioned the Blue Angels. I once in my life got to go up with the uh, the Thunderbirds, the uh, the Air Force's rendition or, or version, um, and it was it was unbelievable. Uh, I'm I'm super proud to announce that I did not black out when we did uh, the high <laughs> the high G force maneuvers. What what did you like about what have you liked about that experience, and and how do you describe the thrill of being in those fighter jets uh, to people who've never done it? Well, for me, it was it was my dream as a kid before golf. I wanted to be a, a fighter pilot in the Australian Air Force. Um, so I always wanted to put my seat in a cockpit and turn and burn and chase bad, bad guys in an aircraft. <laughs> golf, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, took over for me, and I became very, very passionate about that. So ever since I was 15, 16 years old, my dream was always to be able to get into a fighter jet and learn to fly it and, and understand, um, again, what machinery and, and the human mind and physicality can actually deliver. So, you know, I've, just been, I've been fortunate. I've gone up with the RAAF, uh, the RAF. I've gone up with the, uh, the U.S., you know, the Blue Angels. I've, I've gone on the USS Kennedy in, in the Middle East and uh, given exhibition shots on the flight deck, um, you know, I've, I've been to the christening of the George W. H. Bush. Um, so, you know, I've been always around the military to some degree uh, because I'm very, very you know, passionate about them. I don't care whether they're the U.S. or whether they're Australian. You know, these, these individuals really keep us in a, you know, with a world that's free and allows us to do what we would like to do. So whatever I can do, I, I do to give back to them. But, you know, getting in the, the seat of the, the lead pilot for the Blue Angels um, and just flying that aircraft uh, with, you know, you know, you're given the stick. I'm, I'm testing myself. And at the same time, you know, they're trying to test you. And, you know, when you're pulling eight plus Gs, eight and a half plus Gs, your your body is, again, you're learning about your body, right? What right. it can So, um you know, I could go on and on, Brad, about, about stuff like that. And, uh, you know, when I was going out from um, uh, Miramar out to the Carl Vincent somewhere in the middle of somewhere out in the Pacific Ocean, I went out with the Admiral of the Pacific Fleet, and uh, we had some fun stuff. He had his aircraft, we had our aircraft, and we had some, we did some fun things to get to the uh, USS Carl Vincent. So, you know, getting to know these admirals and generals and and leaders of the free world and leaders of other countries that, um, you know, you, you get to understand their DNA and, and what they want to do um, and how they want to protect not only their nation, but the freedoms of the world. It's pretty, it's pretty compelling to sit down and have that capability of having conversations with individuals like that. Do, you know, from the feedback you got from, from the military folks, do you think you would have become a pilot had it not been for golf? Oh, for sure. For sure. I actually can fly a helicopter um, out here on my ranch, for example. Um, I had a great relationship with Bell Helicopter for a long period of time, and they used to bring out some of their, you know, uh, you know uh, I guess, customers from around the world to experience my ranch. And they'd have a helicopter here, and um, I've been, uh, I have gone up and flown in the mountains in very inclement weather, understanding how to navigate um, high altitude flying, because I'm up around 9,000 feet. And um, but in bad weather and understanding to keep uh, going down ravines to get underneath the weather, um, you know, that was exhilarating to me because that was an experience and understanding that these military pilots who, who fly for Bell Helicopter now, as, as uh, 
you know, demonstrating the, the aircraft was just, like I said, an exhilarating experience. To, to have your blades, you know, two or three or four feet or five feet from trees and edges of mountains to try and navigate your way down a ravine, you know, to see the best do that and sit back and feel 100% confident in their capabilities with the machinery as well as, like I said, their mind and their body is so impressive to see. Yeah, you, you've mentioned all these amazing experiences. Have you ever had a, a call that you thought was too close for comfort? I mean, what, what would be your, the closest call or the most dangerous situation you found yourself in over the years with all these different things you've done? Uh, probably um, I did a cave dive uh, in the Bahamas one time many, many years ago. And it was a cave that uh, Jacques Cousteau had been trying to find the end of. Um, and it's very uh, you know, an innocent-looking entry into this cave. It's only in about... I think 15 feet of water, and it's just a slit that's about five or six feet. And uh, so, as you traverse into this cave, it just keeps going and going and going and going. It gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and you get to little slits where you have to take your tank off and put your, you know, get yourself through. And then you get into a big cabin. It's pitch black. Um, so you've really got to uh, be very, very, very calm within your own self. You know, if you're claustrophobic and uh, yeah, and if you have any sense of fear, then you would never ever do anything like that. And uh, in one of those situations, um, you know, I, I took a guest from my boat who said um, they were experienced in diving, and and we got into a very very interesting situation at the wrong time uh, because the fear factor came in and a bit of a panic factor came in, and you know we had to, or I had to, with my you know my um, master diver that I had on the boat we had to calm the situation down and just, you know, get ourselves out of there. So, you know, it, the situation wasn't created by me. It was created by somebody else. And, and again, that teaches you a big lesson. Expect the unexpected. You don't know when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. But when it does happen, how you react yourself um, in a calm, cool, collective, confident fashion is going to determine the outcome, is, is from what I've learned. And um, so that was one situation that um, was a very interesting one as far as I'm concerned. And you don't ever sound like you want to slow down, right? I mean, this is just who you are, how you're wired, what you what you want to be doing, right? Yeah, this like I said, uh, maybe it's the Australian in me. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it's just there's so much to learn out there, whether it's um, – from CEOs and boardrooms uh, to building businesses to, you know, understanding what life can give you in the wild. Um, you know, you got to have the utmost respect for Mother Nature, whether it's the weather, whether it's the, the animals that live in the wild, whether it's uh, your capabilities of being able to navigate the pitch black night when you've, you've been caught in the mountains, stuff like that. That's, uh, but there are things that, um, you know, that I've never done uh, yeah, I would probably sit back and think about, like, maybe I'm too old to climb Mount Everest. Um, I think that would be one that would probably, you know, if somebody came and asked me, you want to, in two years, want to go climb Mount Everest? I'd probably say yes in the beginning, but after a period of time of thinking about it, maybe that is probably not worthwhile doing because there's, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of bodies left up on Mount Everest because, Expect the unexpected, that weather can turn and get to minus 50 very, very quickly, and, and you're just stuck up there. You're, you're not the guy who climbs Everest. You're the guy they call when someone else is stuck. 
I think you, you you know you're <laughs> you'll be up there first uh, first wave of defense to bring him down, my friend. Um, I, I look, it's, I, I probably would do. I'm that type of guy. I'm a, I'm a giver, not a taker. And if somebody's in um, in need of help or distress um, to some degree, if I have the capabilities of helping them, um, then yes, I probably would do that. You know, during your career, and it was such a, a celebrated you know uh, career. And how much? How much did did these uh, you know passions away from golf um, give you the staying power you needed? I mean, uh, we've talked to a lot of athletes who say, even though there's pressure to always sort of be dialed in, sometimes you really do need to go away and do something else to uh, you know refresh your mental health or just stimulate yourself. So, what did the, what was the role that your your passions played in uh, you know in your playing career over the years? Look, I think it has a lot to do with it, quite honestly. Um, having the confidence within yourself to be able to uh, climb any any uh, obstacle that's in front of you or any challenge that's presented to you, um, you know, I think that is is probably plays in every aspect of life. It's like my Monday morning motivator that I just posted today. You know, to be the best you can be, not not to be number one or be the best. It's always to be the best you can be. And if I keep pushing myself and teaching myself and understanding myself, whether it's my workouts or whether it's men- the mental aspect of a business deal, then trusting and getting advice from others, I'm always striving to be a better person each and every day. Um, health and wellness, um, business. Um, the same was in golf. I wanted to be the best one-iron player I could be. I want to be the best driver of the golf ball I could be. As it all turned out, as I kept getting better and better and better, I wanted to get better and better and better. So I always made my my weaknesses my strengths and, and always made sure my my strong aspects of life were always going to be maintained. Yeah, you know, to close out, you mentioned your businesses. Uh, you know, you've had such a um, you know, diverse career within the business world. What, what's cooking next? What, uh, is there anything you want to tell your fans about or what your next big venture is going to be? Um, look, uh, I, won't, I won't actually openly say it, but there are so many great opportunities around the world right now. Um, you know, I, I'm very, very lucky, Brad, that my focus is a global focus. My brand is a global brand. Um, and there's some incredible opportunities that I see with, within countries um, that are not the United States, but the United States is giving them the ability to open themselves up to capitalism and, and uh, hospitality space. And, and golf is a great segue into that way. It's a Trojan horse in many, many ways. And, and fortunately for me, I've been at the tip of the spear on those. And I, can, I can remember being one of the first golfers to Dubai the, the tallest building in Dubai back in the 80s was the Hard Rock Hotel. Uh, <laughs> it's great stories. And now I look back at Dubai and go, oh, my gosh, if I was just smart enough back in the 80s to be some way, you know, knowledgeable to, to get involved with this growth, then, you know, it would have been an incredible opportunity. But we learned from those things. And I've seen this now over 40 years of traveling, plus years of traveling the world, that there, these, these opportunities are always out there. It just depends on, are you willing to go ask the simple question, you know, like, how can I help? Or how can I get involved? Or what, what, what do you think if? And when you ask those simple questions and you get the right answers, be careful because it can open up a huge opportunity for you that could last anywhere between 10 and 20 years. So 
Uh, those are the things that I love to see, finding virgin space and virgin opportunities and going after them. Well, we, you know, we love talking to you. We love hearing these, uh, you know, these these amazing tales. And if we ever go uh, do anything dangerous, uh, you'll be the first one we call, my friends. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for that, Brad. I don't know about that, but all I do know is that, um, you know, uh, it's a wonderful world out there. It's, it's full of it's full of lot of joy and, and a lot of learning, and also it can be a lot of heartaches as well too. So you've got to be careful what road you choose to go down, and if you choose a road without any obstacles, that road leads nowhere. Life is one big jump shot. You're either on or you might be off. So try to maintain and refrain from the strain, and don't get lost in the sauce. Life's just one big jump shot. You're either on or you might be off. So try to maintain and refrain from the strain and don't get lost in the sauce. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media. You know, they try to do stuff that they like, and we tell them, stop doing the stuff you like. Start getting back to watching game film 24-7 because that's all we want from you. That's ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate locker room distractions every week by telling you what is distracting us. Adam, start us off, my friend. Well, Brad, you are the workhorse of the podcast. So for all I know, we've already had this gentleman on on the pod. Um, but Jonathan Abrams from Bleacher Report. Yes, uh, we have. The, I had Jonathan uh, Abrams on when he, when he did uh, not his wire book, but his first book on uh, the generate the sort of like straight to the NBA generation yes. of basketball players. Yeah, so I just finished The Wire again and wanted to read more, so I have started reading uh, All the Pieces Matter, his book about The Wire, which is a compilation of uh, interviews from the cast um, and directors, producers, writers of the show The Wire that ran on HBO for five seasons, which I think is the greatest TV show of all time. Um, and it's a, a really enjoyable book. It's a super easy read. I'm halfway through it in about three sittings. Um, so I would recommend that. Um, the Just to give a preview, the there's a scene in The Wire, if you haven't seen The Wire, spoiler alert, um, but a young Michael B. Jordan plays a character called Wallace, and in the first season, Wallace is killed off um, towards the end of the first season. Um, and there's a, a three or four page discussion about the way the scene was set up, how many times they shot it, Michael B. Jordan's mother reaction to it, his personal reaction where he thought at that point, they're killing me off the show, my career is over. Um, so there's a lot of those interesting stories throughout the book, as well as uh, really a look inside life in Baltimore on the judicial side, as well um, as on the side of the uh, the drug dealers. Uh, a lot of local, a lot of actors in the show grew up in Baltimore. Uh, so if you're a fan in the, of the show, um, definitely give the book a read. If you haven't watched The Wire, watch The Wire, read the book. Absolutely. Big fans of Jonathan Abrams on the show. I do remember when I talked to him uh, back when I used to tape the show in my office at night. And I talked to him and I was like, hey, thanks for doing, doing our podcast. You know, we're, we're fairly new. And he's like, man, I'm promoting a book. If you've got a podcast, I've been on it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, yeah, amen, man. Amen. 
All right, Adam, for my distraction, I want to talk about Star Wars. I have not okay. seen the Solo movie. Have you seen the Solo movie? I have not. After it was panned, uh, I will wait for HBO. I get to about one movie a year now, and uh, and mine was <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Drew. Sadly. Uncle Drew. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you, dra- you dragged us to Uncle Drew. Um, and I was tweeting at I was tweeting at uh, uh, also friend of Pod Ryan Glassbeagle from the Big Lead, and and he was saying something about like um, imagine seeing Uncle Drew, and I said something like now imagine taping a podcast about it after <laughs> we've wasted our life. <laughs> anyway, so speaking of wasting your life, there's this whole movement, and I can't even tell if it's all if it's all sort of a self referential uh, referential parody or what it is, but there's this whole movement afoot about remake the last jedi and it's kind of it captures this whole internet troll uh possessive fandom nonsense that i can relate to as someone who watched who grew up on star wars and felt it was very meaningful to me as pop culture and was really disappointed by the prequels we've talked on the show gareth and i think attack of the clones is the worst movie ever made like i agree and there was a time that I would have said, let's reboot this. It needs to be better. It's important for me to, uh, to be better. And as I was, I was listening to a lot of people talking about this, this crappy sort of toxic Star Wars fandom, rather than just shit on those people, I want to put this out there to try and give them a different way to think about Star Wars. And I heard this on a podcast called Now This Is Podcasting. Uh, great title for a podcast. Um about Star Wars and 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 you know the, the guys are, are are very funny. It's a, it's a huge deep. They do these three hour episodes about all the things going on with Star Wars. But one of the hosts and I forget his name right now. I apologize. Said the greatest thing I could ever imagine about Star Wars, and it really has informed my the way I look at all of this new stuff coming out. He said, "Think of Star Wars like your favorite band." So Adam, in your case, that's Alexi Lalas. <laughs> okay. But think of Star Wars like it's your favorite band. The the early albums that got you into the band, that informed so much about who you are and your tastes and everything else like that, still you can revisit them anytime and still feel like the pull of them and mm. how great they are. But when a band comes out with new music, you don't like the original stuff any less. You might True listen to the new album from Pearl Jam and say, you know what? Not for me, but I'm Mm -hmm. still a fan of Pearl Jam. Right. And I think that that's what makes the most sense to me about it. So when a movie like Solo comes out or whatever else, or Last Jedi even, if you don't like it, it's okay to be like, yeah, that one was kind of a letdown. But I still have Star Wars over here, and I can watch whatever of Star Wars that I like and enjoy that. It doesn't have to be about, oh, but there's a certain way this has to go, or right. else it's or, ruining everything. Oh, right. This has ruined Star Wars for me. I just, it's not the same thing. It's a different time. You're different. I was thinking about that in, in all in all seriousness. I was thinking about that after we did our our review of. Uncle Drew, and uh, as predictable as it was, and as critically as we analyzed it, I also thought back to like, hey, when Above the Rim came out, that <laughs> honestly, I 
I was a terrible athlete, but I love basketball, and I it's it doesn't hold up. If I watch that movie today, um, it it doesn't really hold up. But my memory of how it impacted me or how entertained I was by it at the time made me think about the Uncle Drew movie in the same way. The the two kids behind us were howling and screaming towards the end and like almost dancing in the aisles and I think at 11 years old I would have had the same reaction to that movie so to your point about Star Wars um so for some people it just may be time to move on to something else and revisit the old ones uh around the holidays or when you're feeling nostalgic but it doesn't mean that uh that the movies need to represent your childhood for the rest of your life. Right. Like, I grew up as a Billy Joel fan. If Piano Man was on the radio, I would turn it up. But I'm not going to go see him do his annual concert at Wrigley every year because I don't care enough about Billy Joel, and I don't need to hear him trot out five hits that I like and 30 songs I don't like. But that's a, right. it's, just a way to compartment, it's just a way to compartmentalize the you know the the product and not be such a possessive like frankly just pussy fan who said who stomps their feet and says well this is ruined this because i didn't like the scene where they go to the casino planet i mean who cares like you're just as you're probably the same guy screaming about the ewoks even though all those things were there for was to entertain six-year-olds like me at the time or four-year-olds, you know what I mean? Like, who cares? Like, let yeah. it all go. And, and I try to say this not too judgmentally, but if you can get so angry about the way a movie was written, you might need to take a look at your life. Again, it's uh, not to be preachy, but we live in a time where people are just looking for a, a place to point their their personal misery about life, and and Star Wars <laughs> seems to be yet another <laughs> avenue. Target. <laughs> another avenue for people to do that yeah all right well that's our distractions this week that's our show this week shout out to alexi lalas for making still more music man as as much as you put out i will put on my ipod shout out to greg norman the shark for giving us a, a glimpse into his life uh away from from golf and shout out to joan gareth who couldn't be here anyway adam any shout outs well, sure. I'll give the usual shout outs. Well, first shout out. It sounds like a weird shout out, but shout out to Ronda Rousey for being the first female in the UFC Hall of Fame. Um, UFC Hall of Fame doesn't mean a whole lot yet in such a young sport, but I think years from now we'll realize what her impact on the art and female sports in general is. And uh, hopefully one day we can have her on the pod. And shout out as usual to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and my other cousin Ron. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, rapper extraordinaire, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty.